and welcome to Postcards to the Future, the podcast that listens into the artists, producers, publishers and directors who are shaping the future of arts and culture. Hello, I'm David Micklem and today I'm talking to Olivia Lee. Olivia joined Contact Theatre's agency project after leaving college and, two and a half years later, she's running it. Just 20 years old, she's an incredible advocate for arts and creativity and the role of young people in society. She's also brilliantly eloquent on the divisions and systemic problems at the heart of our broken system. She's also a DJ, a dancer, a photographer, an activist, and a force for good in the world. She's a total inspiration, and I urge you to listen till the end. Olivia, it's great to have you on the podcast. Nice to meet you today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's really good to be here and to be a part of this. Thanks for being one of our interviewees. And I think you're probably going to be our youngest interviewee, and I'm really excited to be the interviewer, probably the <laughs> oldest interviewer talking to you uh, for our Postcards to the Future series. I wanted to kick off, Olivia, asking about you, about your first experience of theatre. What do you remember of your first experience of theatre? So theatre for me was kind of a special occasion growing up in which I would go with my grandparents and they would take me to see things that I had no idea about. And I just remember them kind of explaining what it is that I'm going to see and then me watching it and kind of almost feeling like I was going to the cinema, but it was all in 3D, <laughs> which was quite cool. So I kind of, when I think of theatre prior to working for Contact, it brings together a lot of memories for me with my grandparents and having those experiences. I haven't ever really been to the theatre with a friend before. Um, It's always my grandparents. And you're 18 years old, is that right? I'm 20 now. You're 20 now, sorry. I wish I was still 18. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 18. I'm 18. You're 18. No, you're 20 years old and you're working at Contact. You've been there for a few years. Tell us about how you got to Contact. What was your kind of first experience of Contact and how did you get the job? Yeah, so my first experience of contact was July 2017. I was part of MIF, Manchester International Festival's uh, Flexing, and we did the residency in their building. And I just knew from being in the building, in that environment, that it had an energy about it that I really felt comfortable um, with and also that I just really enjoyed and loved being in that building, although I hadn't been in there many times. Flexing is a, is a large-scale dance piece, is that right? Yeah, so Flexing with MIF was a transatlantic collaboration uh, with Brooklyn underground dancers and dancers over here as well in the UK and we created a show which was really cool and Flexing Flexing originated actually from Brooklyn uh, New York so it was really cool to learn about a new dance style and then train quite intensely and put a show together in about three days that we then actually performed in so yeah it was really quick a turnaround and it was quite intense that's why I was in contact so much for a short period of time really. And was there something about the building or the organisation that really struck you straight away that made you feel like it was a bit of a home? Yeah, so when I saw the application for contact and it was for the agency project assistant, I remember reading the application. I got sent it by my auntie and... I remember having a conversation with a couple of my family members about, yeah, I really like contact, actually, because at the time, my family were trying to get me to do some office temping jobs, which I really didn't want to do. I didn't really know what it was. It was my gap year, but I was trying to make my family happy at the same time. I also applied for Nando's. Nando's didn't want me, um, (laughs) which... 
Oh, Nando's lost his contact game. Maybe one day. Um, but no, it seems as though it seems as though other things were meant for me, which which were kind of greater. So it's a blessing. And at that time, Olivia, you were thinking about going to university too. That was on the cards. Yeah. So I left college in June 2017, and I wanted to go to university to Leeds Beckett and study events management because I just absolutely love events um, and just the process of kind of working so hard prior to a particular event and then having that moment. Sometimes it can just be 30 seconds where you get to see that event um, and that feeling is 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 so powerful and so I, re- I just knew that I loved events and I wanted to get involved in it so when when this office um sorry when this job came up at contact for the project assistant I was like oh okay so this looks similar to events management um but it's project management and so it's definitely in the right direction that I want to go to also really passionate about working with young people empowering young people my mom used to run her own trampolining club when I was younger um and that was all inclusive so it mixed kind of mainstream and people with additional needs together of all ages and that was just a, a huge huge learning experience for me in terms of you know this person behaves this way and this person has an additional need and so they will behave this way but it doesn't make them any different really and also kind of just the the idea that we say disability but actually when you're working with all of these young people children and adults that have disabilities so to speak you recognise they like they don't like yes they they have a disability in some areas where they may not be able to function like a mainstream person but actually these people are incredible and they have enhancements what it is is it's an enhancement in a particular area um, so that just really taught me about kind of you know challenging stereotypes and engaging with people who need that help too um, so. I think that's also helped me get the job because when when I applied for the job I I hadn't had any proper paid for work before I'd just done experience 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 I remember trying to actually work uh, volunteer for MIF when I was 14 and they rejected me oh. <laughs> and I know again I just kept getting rejected um so it was just yeah it's just really cool to, to kind of do that full circle and now be accepted in those spaces which I wasn't old enough to be in before that was a bit of a tangent Definitely. And tell us a bit about the agency. Pretend that I don't know anything about it. Pretend our listeners don't know much about the agency. Give us a kind of your overview of what the project is. So the agency is a Brazilian methodology, which has been um, brought over to the UK. And it works at empowering young people aged 15 to 25 to create their own social enterprise project or business. And so we work in the Mostern and Harper Hay area and they get paid for attending two sessions a week. So really kind of teaches young people that you don't have to volunteer all your time either. And actually you can make a project, you can make a business now whilst you're 15, 16, 17, 25, whatever age you are, you can do it and you will get paid for your time because your time is worthy. Um, So it's a really, really powerful project um, and and programme in itself and it operates around the UK now as as well as over in Brazil and other various places. And can you give us a flavour of some of the projects that you've seen come up through your two and a half odd years at Contact? What are some of the things that you've seen and you've helped support? So I'll tell you a quick story, actually. Um, before I worked for the agency, I met two young boys called Samuel and Yomi, and we attended kind of a youth session together, and then we were on the bus on, on our way home. And I was asking them kind of, you know, what do you do? And they both told me um, we've got our own projects, like our own businesses that we run. And I was like, what? Because these were, they were 16 and I was 17 at this time, I think. And I'm like, what? 
you, you run your own, huh? How? <laughs> and one of them was like, um, I run Amplify, which gives up and coming artists and musicians professional experience of working with a professional producer, going into the studio, recording that music and, and creating an album or an EP afterwards. And Yomi's was a basketball tournament that worked at bringing people all around Manchester together um, and connecting through basketball. And so... I just couldn't really comprehend how two 16-year-old boys had created these projects, um, these businesses by themselves. And I was like, how did that happen? But the one thing they didn't tell me was that it was through the agency. Okay, (laughs) they weren't great adverts for the agency. (laughs) Not really. So we had this whole time speaking. My mind's just going round and round thinking, how did they even make this happen? Like money, support, what's going on? And then like a year later, I ended up being in the same room as them. But this time I was the project assistant. So I was almost like the project manager and helping them with their businesses, with their projects. And that was a so surreal moment. And it was only then that I connected the dots. So, oh, this is how they made it happen. Um, so there's two other projects that, that are there. There's also one called Empower Her, which works at um, getting young females into elite sport because there is a massive gap in payment, um, in opportunity in so many different areas. And so she's a professional boxer herself and is trying to get more women women and, and girls into sport and into elite sport and then there's one called clay help which help um that helps people with their mental health and having discussions in and around mental health while ma- making clay and because it's quite therapeutic so there's quite a wide variety of different projects and each young person that has created and designed these projects are very passionate about them because it connects to desire and it was created mm-hmm. through desire um and experiences of these young people and if you're thinking about contact and you're thinking about the agency, are there any kind of, I don't know, underlying principles that you think are worth sharing? Even if people are thinking about a project that's not called the agency, it's not another version of the agency, or they're not even trying to copy and do another version of contact. What are the embedded principles that you think might sit around underneath all this kind of work? What comes straight to my head is like power, power dynamics, and kind of, okay, if you want to engage with and work with young people in a effective non-tokenistic way then you have to be willing to give up some of the power even if you're in a position of you know chief executive director of I think sometimes with those roles it helps with your ego it kind of you know to sit in that position and sit in that role it's it's got to boost your ego in some kind of way because you have the power and you ultimately can inform decisions so I think it's also about recognizing your position as a CEO or director and kind of saying, do I really want this? And if you really want that, then putting things into place to allow those young people and systems into place to allow those young people to really have a voice um, and a decision in what happens, what is informed. And I also think it's about believing in the people that you're that you're engaging with because for example my job with the uh being the project assistant i found out that there were 50 other applicants who applied now i've applied i you know wrote my application i have my experience yes i didn't have paid work and i hadn't necessarily been in that role before but they designed that role and understood that it was a pioneering role and an opportunity to potentially give it to someone who's a bit younger and can work up and so them giving me that job when I just turned 18 was also like, whoa, we're taught that can't happen. We're taught that's not real and that's not a thing. And there's so many um, risks when you do that. But in actual fact, what it's done is it, it 
taught me that I do have the ability to project manage and to manage and to be in this environment and to challenge myself and test myself. And I think in the education system, we're, we're taught so much negative things like myself anyway there were so many negative voices inside of myself when leaving high school that you know if you ever said to me by the age of 19 you'll be the project manager project coordinator of the agency I would have said no like no way no way you need to give me 10 years before I can get there so just kind of really challenging um, the status quo and believing um, but also supporting and being willing to offer that time and that attention if needed um, to developing and progressing young people so I guess I'm approaching that with if you want to engage with young people more so in your organization don't be so scared like don't be so scared be courageous um, put things in place to help support those young people and they will flourish because yes I'm I might be the youngest member of staff but that does not mean that I'm the least intelligent you know I I have my own strengths and I have my own yeah my own strengths that will help this project or this program flourish um as equally that's amazing and how do you think you've changed Olivia how do you think you've changed over two and a half years of contact that's a really good question that is a really really good question because of course I'm still I'm 20 like I'm I'm only just an an adult not an adult but I'm just like I'm not in my teens anymore I've only just come out of my teens and so for me actually a lot of my friends are still in university um completing their courses or some are coming up to finishing and I'm thinking like wow this is this is really interesting because a lot of my people who I know who are leaving university are coming out with a degree and you don't always hear people talk about their degrees and they don't always get as so passionate about their degrees in terms of also intertwining with other elements outside of the education system. And so I think what me working at Contact um, and Young Manchester has allowed me to do is gain intelligence and knowledge outside of the education system and also for me to understand even more so this is how the education system is designed and this is how other things are designed outside of that and actually those other things that are designed outside of the education system work well for me and are for me and so I think one of the major changes that I have made um, since leaving college and being in the arts and stuff is how much knowledge I have such an extensive knowledge of just how things work, how processes work, how the world works, the importance of, you know, equality, for example. The It's just taught me to be really political in a non-political way, <laughs> if that makes sense. I want to push a bit more on that, Olivia. You're talking about what works in the world. What doesn't work from your experience, you know, from your experience both at Contact, Arts and Culture and wider society? What are some of the broken things that you think we need to talk about more? This has been weighing on me a lot lately. The broken ways of the world, the the systems in the world that used to work and used to benefit the people it was there for, you know, kind of recognising that systems are in place and have been put in place years ago to work for maybe a particular type of person and they've not changed as time has gone on. And that's a very scary thing because, you know, for me, there's things like racism just let's just take racism for an example and I won't go too far into it because I think I'm emotionally drained from just talking mentally physically drained from talking and explaining race to so many people when it's like hold on a minute yes I'm mixed race but 
I've had to educate myself too. I've had to teach myself about these things. So why is it that other people can't teach themselves about that same thing too? So for me, there's the concept that we actually judge and we act and we create systems and we have systemic outputs and behaviours which allow and enable racism to happen. And it's just like, whoa, we're literally all human. The fact that people can inform a decision about how they feel about a person based on the colour or complexion of their skin or how they look physically is just absolutely beyond me. Because actually when you tap in to recognising the value in how in a diverse selection of people everyone has their own lived experiences and because of the unequal ways of the world and systems in the world and the racism that exists it means that we're creating people now and we're we're formulating people who have had painful and traumatic experiences and they need to have a place to speak up but not just also speak but we should change the ways that we work because it it purely doesn't work for everyone so yeah it's great that young people want uh, i mean organizations and people want to start engaging young people because it's you know it's trendy and some people do it and they go oh that works let's get on that kind of thing and let's take part in that It, it looks good it works well let's do it There's a thing about trends and people reacting to trends. And so I think that race just needs to not be a trend. We need to shift our systems. We need to shift our behaviours and be more aware of of our unconscious behaviours and unconscious bias. Because if we can do that and as a society we can become more aware and less afraid and so provide spaces for people to make mistakes and to have discussions and instead of kind of seeing everything as this person um, opposing this person or this thing or this race opposing that race, it's purely, it's simply not about that. It's purely about unity. It is about fairness and it's about not being mistreated based on the colour of your skin. I'm totally inspired. Olivia, totally inspired. That is incredible. And how then do you apply that in the world of arts and culture? Given those broken things that you've spoken so, so clearly about, what are some of the kind of ways and approaches that you think our arts and culture institutions should be taking, should be taking on board to think about those problems and and creating a fairer, more equal society? So I think I think also to stop this narrative of kind of, you know, black or ethnic minorities educating white people, uh, we, we need to just all educate ourselves. We simply just all need to educate ourselves. Um, my auntie even educated me. Like, my auntie is is a white, middle-class woman, very comfortable in her environment, um, you know, has a husband, has two children. They get everything that they could possibly want or need. Very comfortable. So she doesn't necessarily need to educate herself on these problems in and around race and racism, but because she purely cares, <laughs> because she has compassion and empathy and recognises that it's a problem she has educated herself on that and so she's provided a space for herself to release emotion and speak to my six-year-old and um, nine-year-old cousin about you know George Floyd was killed by a police officer but but mummy police officers are supposed to protect I know well that's the problem you know so 
I think it's, first of all, it's just about educating yourself, whether you're you're white, you're black, you're Asian, you're orange, you're yellow, like whatever, whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever status you have, whether you're, you know, you're right at the top of your organisation or you're right at the bottom or you're in the middle, just educate yourself. You know, we take time to educate ourselves on other things. So if you know that your knowledge is absent in those areas, just take some time to do some research and then you can really understand from a logical and a rational point of view rather than an emotive point of view why these problems are so severe also another element is recognizing so first of all to educate yourself second of all to understand that if and when you're going to speak and interact with people they may be coming from an emotive point of view and so what can you do rationally about that logically about that because it's good to speak to people who are in an an emotive state of mind but also those who are in a rational state of mind so for me for example the protest is an emotive response it's people needing to let out the trauma that they've seen online the feelings that they're feeling that feeling of injustice and repression they need to let that out that's an emotive environment and platform and so for me it's okay we're seeing the emotive now what action can we really make and so I think it's really important then to tie in systematic and systemic racism so systematic um systematic ways uh, implies a thorough a series of steps so that's your approach towards things systemic is more so the the body um i see it as being the output of behaviors so if you've got for example if you've got racist systematic processes in place then the likelihood is that you will encourage systemic racism to happen because that will be the behaviors output an example of that is that if you have um for example an all-white panel um interview panel and you might systematically only accept you, you may reject uh, CVs and resumes from historically black colleges or universities or people's names who don't sound kind of English and white, you might reject. And that is systematic racism. So that's you putting in a series of steps which allow racism to happen and they are just racist. Um, and so that's why I think also when we talk about, you know, you hear so much about diversify the panel, diversify the panel. It's all men, it's all it's all white, it's all this, it's all that. I think when, when it comes to race, the reason, you know, we can have a diverse panel in terms of male and female, but if it is all white, the reason that is a problem is because of systemic racism that can occur as a result of that so systemic racism may be that you have an all-white panel and so when interviewing people you might have a variety of different people that come but you as a white person may feel comfortable with another white person whereas your unconscious bias might tell you that that strong looking tall black man is threatening in some type of way and so Although his interview may be great, you may go for that white counterpart because you feel more comfortable um, doing that. So the more we can bring that unconscious behaviour to the conscience and we can we can bring about awareness, we can highlight the areas that maybe we allow racism to happen or we allow systemic behaviours to, you know, racist systemic behaviours to be outputted. So it's really about systemic racism requires a very deep deep process of thought and looking internally to yourself um, which can be hard again if we bring in ego and we bring in status and we bring in reputation that takes a lot because um, we also don't value looking in ourselves internally we don't value mental health we don't value self-care we value money systems business this 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 um and so if we can really that's a practical approach looking at systematic yeah. racism and dealing like changing that is so easy it's so simple let's that's also, a really clear distinction 
distinction. Like, yeah. yeah, let's also just take away from the fact that this all has to be really complex and hard. Yes, there are complexities. Yes, it's difficult, especially as we go higher and higher into the systems of government systems, policing systems. It gets immensely complex. And again, it comes into power, it comes into ego, it comes into status, you know? But systematic racism in terms of looking at the arts, looking at culture, simply changing your, your interviewing process, you know? Yeah. Simply changing who's on your board, changing, you know, maybe the ways that your staff may interact with particular people, not doing BAME outreach because, yeah. <laughs> come on, come on. Like, the fact that you're putting out a BAME outreach and only contacting me because it's a BAME outreach makes me not want yeah. to participate in your tokenistic approach of trying to tip oh. that box. And don't get me wrong, that's me looking at it from, again, an emotive side because some people do do kind of BAME outreach to tap into those environments. But for me, I think it's really interesting how we 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 look at recruitment and then we look at outreach recruitment. Like, why yeah. is it not just the same? <laughs> like, yeah. the agency has really taught this um, to me is that, you know, some people might say, uh, we're going to go in the streets today and that's outreach recruitment. Well, that, well, when we're recruiting at the agency, we're in the McDonald's, <laughs> we're in the youth yeah. centre, we're, we're on the streets, we're wherever young people are. And so that just simply needs to be how things are worked, you know, don't go and do a massive outreach to tap into those other communities. Mm. Actually change your system that you've got in place right now to reach and tap into all those communities. I love what you're saying, Olivia. It's so complex and yet it's so simple. Yeah, <laughs> complex but so simple. It's, yeah. Totally. I've heard you talk before. I'd love you to talk a bit about women too. I think you've talked about the absence of women. You're not seeing enough women in, not in those frontline positions in arts and cultural institutions, but the kind of behind the scenes roles. T tell me a bit about that. So aside of work and trying to change the world, <laughs> um, I absolutely love to create. Like for me, creating is just... Creating just allows you to feel and tap into all of them things that, you know, aside from the seriousness of worlds, of the world sometimes, it just allows you to be in a creative chamber and not have to reach a target or not have to articulate in a particular way. And, you know, you just got that freedom. So I really, really do love to create. And so my creative outputs are kind of DJing. I like music production. I really like to write. Um, I love to host. So hosting in the sense of... Of, there's two elements so hosting as in yes you can host events and run events and manage events but I mean hosting in terms of comparing um, so comparing hosting at various events so I can go from hosting for an artist like a drill artist to then hosting at a conference or hosting for quite a prestige organisation you know so okay so here's an example I can go for hosting uh, for like Skengo and AM who are a drill artist to then hosting for Yoko Ono for MIF which are just completely two different things but exciting equally exciting so what I kind of discovered when I was hosting for these music artists um, was that I'd often go to the music venue and be backstage and it was a high male presence like the videographer the photographer the DJ the artist manager the stage manager the venue manager um, security all men and the only women I would see backstage are the women that are there for 
the benefit of the men, meaning that they're dressed in a particular way. You know, they may be drinking, they're they're relaxing. They don't have any status or authority in the room and they are sexualized. They're there for for reasons of sexualization. And so for me, being a girl backstage who also doesn't sexualize themselves in the sense of, um, sorry, I don't mean that, being a girl backstage who doesn't dress very girly and is quite tomboyish, it's quite an interesting dynamic because they do see me as a girl, they see me as a woman, but I don't, I'm not dressed in a, in a tight dress. Mm-hmm. And so what reason did he have to speak to me? What reason did he have to engage with me? And honestly, not much. So often I'd kind of be backstage, I'd be there, be present. The boys are, you know, letting on to the boys safe, like what's going on? And I'm just kind of here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that was just a really interesting dynamic. Also, I've had it on stage where I've been hosting, the crowd, everything's going good. And I've had a man come over to me, give me a mic. And I'm like, give you the mic? So I looked at them, I laughed, and then I shouted louder into the microphone to the audience (laughs) and then just ran across the stage. (laughs) So um, it really takes a lot to hold yourself in that environment to say, you know what, I'm not going to be dominated. I'm not going to feel intimidated and I'm not going to quieten down. Actually, Mm -hmm. I have the right to be in this space. I have the right to be on this stage and I've been asked to come and to host. And so you will not dominate and take over. And so So for me, last year, I was so passionate about trying to get young girls in particular into those spaces, in those dominating roles and not there Mm -hmm. to sexualize themselves. Because also, what are we teaching these these young girls? If, you know, yeah, you can get backstage if you dress up and look a certain way. Well, no. Mm -hmm. Why can't they get backstage if they're the photographer, like I've said, if they're the DJ? Why is it? such a strong male dominance and again I think it's down to society and what we teach women in society and so there's just a thing there I think in in and around men creating collectives creating groups creating networks between one another particularly in Manchester and around my age group anyway and such a lack in women and females doing it and so I just really wanted to change that narrative and show those young girls you can be in a space and you can be in a dominating role And what are you doing, Olivia, to do that? What sort of projects are you running to get some of those younger women to kind of consider backstage professions, as you're saying, photographers, videographers, etc.? So last year, I wanted to put on a female empowerment event, which also looked at breast cancer too, because that is also something that is not spoken about often. Girls don't check their breasts. Women don't check their breasts often, uh, especially teenage girls. You know, my auntie got cancer when she was 19. It wasn't breast cancer, but it was cancer nevertheless. And also a lot of cancers can actually be cured if they're caught in the earlier stages. So a lot of the causes of death within cancer is because it's found so late. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was definitely an element there in and out uh, element there in and around females health and well-being but uh, yeah I wanted to put on that event but at the time I just I very nearly did it and then I just couldn't because I was doing it on my own again not a strong female network um I was kind of trying to change the world whilst working two jobs whilst doing all of this other stuff and it was just too much so I had to postpone the event but what I did do is um I've spoken at a couple of international women's week um or women's day I say women's week because shouldn't just get a day um but <laughs> <laughs> I've spoken um to a few few young people there I also 
I'm connected to a group called Kaiso. And so there's many different young girls and, and young people there. And so I offer to do sessions too where, you know, we can do Q&As. And just also, also it's about having general conversations. So sometimes you don't have to do some big whole massive event or, you know, a, a session or whatever it is. But it's also about changing the narrative when you interact with those people. So, mm-hmm. okay, here's a young girl. Hey, how are you doing? Have a chat around what they're doing. And, and maybe just say something to encourage them to change challenge stereotypes and challenge what they know um so just trying to put hints of empowerment into people too i love it i love it and a final question olivia if you think beyond this crisis think beyond covid and beyond all the kind of economic meltdown that's happening around the country and around the world what do you imagine you might be doing in three or four years time you know what what by a bit of a reset if you had your way and some of the changes that you've talked so passionately about this afternoon get in place what would you do what would be the kind of creative practice it might unlock for you and people like you for me, I think one of the first things that I would like to see in three or four years' time is actually the North um, leading in changing their systems, some of their you know systematic ways and systemic behaviours and being an influencer to other parts of the UK to also try and implement you know whatever it is that is created because I'm looking at creating something as well to connect organisations together because if the issue is systematic ways and systemic ways of working, then if we can bring together a collection of organisations organizations of people and we actually shift the way we approach our systems then we're also creating a systematic way of working which is actually anti-racist I think secondly for me personally I absolutely love um, working and engaging with young people and changing and impacting people's lives but I think I would like to break off more so into creativity um, more creative ways to do that so yeah I've had you know so much experience in and around project management now and the power of that and the impact of that and I think I would absolutely love to explore my creativity in more depth and and be an influencer so be a female dj be a female music producer i would i, I think also I'm, I'm really intrigued in creative direction at the moment so for example drake who's a massive you know massive male artist he has a female director who directs a lot of his music videos and i just think that's sick like it's just it's just sick it's just really cool because again those videos are so good and you would often i think naturally we just think it's the guy that's directed it and it's not it's a, it's a young girl who's like 24 25 and she's doing that and she's working with big artists and she's not sexualized and she's treated well and it's like yeah like i want to i want to be in those positions to also influence other people and say we can we can we can create this shift we can create that change it's possible i think one of the biggest things that stop people is that belief and the belief in their ability and it stops me at times but you know it's also what's perceived and what's real and so what's real is that i can do it and I can get there and no matter what gets in my way <laughs> I will make it because that's my true desire fantastic Olivia you are an inspiration a total inspiration Thank you've been you. absolutely extraordinary I could listen to you all day and I could ask a dozen more questions you've totally blown my socks off so thank you so much for being on the podcast and uh, look forward to seeing you soon Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be a part of it. And I really look forward to seeing how Culture Reset impacts the arts and culture. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Postcast to the Future. If you subscribe to the series, then the next episode will seamlessly drop into your podcast platform. Postcast to the Future is a People Make It Work project devised and produced by Claire Doherty and David Micklem for the Culture Reset programme which is funded by the ever-brilliant Gulbenkian Foundation.